Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me today to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we will be looking at chapter 9 and verses 30 to 37. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Brothers and sisters, and hear with me the reading of God's Word. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And He did not want anyone to know, for He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days He will arise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask Him. And they came to Capernaum, and when He was in the house, He asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And He sat down, and He called the twelve, and He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, since Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, we have seen a real emphasis placed upon discipleship. Right? Jesus is continually teaching them what it means to come after Him and to follow Him. And every time Jesus teaches His disciples this, one thing becomes clear. And that what Jesus demands is not only faith and trust in Him as Messiah, but He also demands a, a radical break from everything that we once knew and everything that we once believed. And it was in this context that a few weeks back, remember I told you guys, to, to, as I exhorted you, be nothing to the world. Right? I said, be nothing. And that was as a result of Jesus' teaching that if anyone was to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Right? Jesus is constantly in the Gospel here and throughout all of the Gospels. Right? Really, giving us two options. Right? He's saying you can, you can have the world and all of the things of the world and the, the thinking of the world, or you can have Me. But you can have both because coming after Me means denying yourself the world. Right? We have to understand we're always doing one of two things. Right? We're always chasing after the world and the things of the world, or we are chasing after Christ. And that is because the world and Christ are, are two opposite right, roads, two opposite choices. Two opposite paths that lead down to our opposite roads. And I think for many Christians we have forgotten this. Or for others, unfortunately, they just have never come to understand this. That this is what Jesus demands of anyone who would come after Him and be His disciple. And yet even for us today who, who might understand this, it is still something for us that we find hard to put into practice, isn't it? And why is it? Why is it hard for us to put this into practice? Well, it's because our, our natural inclination right, was to think like the world, wasn't it? Because we all came into this world as sinners. 
And so our natural inclination was to think like the world and act like the world and be governed like the world and to, to have the world's values. Right? The world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing was so much a part of our lives that it has become entrenched inside of us that many times we don't even know that it's there. And yet, as believers today, this inclination is something that we must constantly be fighting against, even though it's, it's hard to shake off. But brothers and sisters, it is something that we must shake off because as we have learned and through Jesus' teaching, what we have come to understand is that Christianity is completely different than the world. Right? This world promotes what? This world promotes pride. Christianity teaches us what? Humility, right? Christ, uh, the world promotes living for ourselves. Right? Christianity promotes what? Dying to self and living to Christ. This world teaches us, uh, my body, my choice. What does Christianity teach us? Right? That our bodies are not our own. They belong to the Lord. They are temples of the living God. And that we are to use them for righteousness sake. Right? This world teaches us to, to think for ourselves, to, to have our own minds. Christianity tells us that we are not to have our own minds. We are to have the mind of Christ. This world promotes trusting our own thoughts feelings and emotions. Christianity teaches us to distrust all of those natural feelings and emotions and thoughts that we once had. Right? This world promotes indulgence. Christianity teaches us moderation and many times all-out denial. This world promotes selfish ambition while Christianity teaches us contentment. This world teaches us that suffering is bad and we should have tried to escape it. Christianity teaches us that suffering is good when it's done for the sake of Christ and the Gospel. And I could go on and on and on and on, but we see these are the ways that the world and Christ are, are so polar opposite. As the world has is, is taught us to think a certain way and to act a certain way and to believe certain things. But we see that the world's ways are not God's ways. And so we must continue this struggle of putting off these world's values and ideas that have been entrenched inside of us, even though we all know how much of a struggle it is to renounce all of those former patterns and ways. And this is in fact what we see in our text today. The apostles are acting like the world and thinking like the world and not like those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. We see this both in the way that they respond to Jesus' teaching on His own death and resurrection. And we see this in how they behaved in their argument that they had with one another about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And so this is what we're going to focus our attention primarily on today. And we're going to do so then under three points. And so the first point is this, living like the world. Point one is living like the world. Point two then is living like Christ. Living like Christ. And our third point is motivation for Christian living. Our motivation for Christian living. And so with point one, let us begin. We, we start in verse 30 and we see that Jesus and the disciples are, are back on the road again. Right? And they, they're passing through Galilee, going to Capernaum. And we read in verse 33 that they finally arrive in Capernaum and, and stay at one of their homes. Now, Jesus is still in the midst of what we called uh, a couple months back, his retirement ministry. Remember, Jesus kind of retired away from all of the big crowds and all of the debates and discussions. 
Now, he, he didn't do this so that he would never have to deal with another person again. But remember, this retirement ministry was so that he could prepare his disciples for their own ministry, knowing that his time was soon drawing to a close. And so as they're walking through Galilee, we're told in verse 32 that Jesus is teaching them that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Now, brothers and sisters, this sounds very familiar to something that we just heard not too long ago, right? If you remember, it was just in chapter 8 that Jesus says almost these exact same words. Remember in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus tells the disciples He must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees. And He must die and then rise again. In fact, our text today is not the last time that Jesus will give and convey this very same message. If you look over just maybe one page in your Bible to chapter 10 and verse 33, He repeats the same message again. He says the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn Him, put Him to death, deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And after three days, He will rise. And so what does this repetition teach us? Right? This constant repetition of this message teaches us how important this message is. How much He wants this to, to sink into their minds. Which is why He continually tells them of this. But as we'll see, each time Jesus repeats this message, He adds something new to it. Right? He reveals a little bit something more to them. Right? This time, what He reveals new is that He is going to be delivered to the hands of men. Right? He did not say that last time. He adds that this time. And this word for delivered means betrayed. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm going to be betrayed by men. I'm going to be handed over by somebody. And yet, even being told this, it didn't alarm them at all. Right? They didn't stop and, and think, well, which one of us are, are, are you talking about? Who among you is going to betray you, Lord? Who will hand you over? Let us stop you. In fact, what we're told in verse 32 is that they didn't understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Right? Why do we think they didn't understand yet? Why didn't they understand? It was because their minds were not yet Christ's mind. Right? Their spirit was not in tune with Christ's spirit. Right? Although they recognized Him to be the divine person, they could not wrap hearts or heads around His redemptive work. And why is that? Well, they couldn't do that because their natural minds had an aversion to it. Right? Their natural minds had an aversion to that message. This is, what, this is why Jesus keeps having to impress it upon Him. Because of their unwillingness to receive that message. They don't want it. It goes against everything that they desire and that they want. And so they do everything they can to to deflect, to not think about it, because they don't want it. It isn't what they desire for their own lives. This is what we see every time Jesus brings up His death and resurrection. Right? They have a, a dislike for the teaching. It doesn't make sense to them. It didn't support what they desired. Because what? Jesus tells them that He's going to be rejected and die, which means for them, they are going to be rejected and die. But who amongst us grows up with the ambition of being rejected and being killed? None of us do. What is it that we all want? Right? It's the same thing they wanted. Glory, prestige, honor, all the things this world teaches us to lust after. Right? They wanted a Messiah who is going to be a ruling and a conquering Messiah. 
They wanted a Messiah they could be proud of, that they could boast of. Look at Him. Right? They wanted a Messiah who was going to be the, the number one King of Kings, that every person was going to have to subject themselves to His rule here on earth. And in fact, they were actually sort of ashamed to hear that He was going to be a suffering Messiah and a weak Messiah to the eyes of the world. And so, they didn't understand this yet. But why do you, th- why do you think that they were afraid to ask Him? Right? Perhaps they, they were probably afraid to ask Him because they remembered what happened to, to Peter right? in, in chapter 8 when, when, he, when he pulled Jesus aside to rebuke Him, right? They were probably thinking about that and said, no way, we're not, we're not bringing this up to the Lord. Right? He's going to rebuke us again. And so they didn't ask. and Instead, they remained in their ignorance. And it's because of that ignorance to what Jesus taught that then contributed to their ensuing argument. Right? They didn't understand what He was saying. And so they're still under the impression that He's going to establish this earthly kingdom. And so what are they doing? They're, they're arguing with one another about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. Right? This is where their mind was at. Right? This is what they were concerned with at this time. But do you see, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood sees no other way than greatness and glory and crowns and rank and honor and attention. Right? Our natural selves see no other way. And we know this because each and every one of us here today are guilty of having those same selfish ambitions, are we not? But we must see that this is the way of the world. And what lies behind this thinking is the sin of pride, which is one of the most common sins of every man, woman, and child here today. Right? It was the apostles' pride that caused them to simply dismiss what Jesus said about His death and resurrection and not ask a question. It was their pride that caused them to argue amongst one another about who was going to be the greatest. I want you to see this. As Jesus is telling them about His own suffering and death, they are concerned about their own status. Jesus is telling them about His suffering and death and they are concerned about who is going to be number one. But what they do not yet understand, which Jesus is going to teach them, is that this way of thinking, this world's way of thinking, is what keeps men and women from God. Right? It keeps them from seeing and experiencing the greatness of God. This way of thinking, this worldly thinking, keeps men away from the salvation of God. This way of thinking is dangerous, even for believers, right? Pride is dangerous for us. Because why? It causes us to lose focus of the one whom we are supposed to have our attention on, which is Christ. And it causes us to, to put it back upon ourselves. Right? Pride is dangerous because pride causes envy amongst brothers and sisters. It causes strife and division. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul's saying that pride and ambition is the cause of contention amongst the saints. Seeking to to esteem yourself highly, seeking your own good and benefit is the reason why there is contention amongst the saints. It was pride and it was ambition likewise which caused people to reject Christ even though they knew He was true in preference for the world. We're told this in John chapter 12, verse 42 that many believed 
that many authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Does that describe any of us here today? Do any of you refrain from openly professing Christ because you love the glory of men more than you love God? Yet what this argument also displays to us is that the apostles demonstrated too high of a view of themselves, didn't they? And they thought they were deserving of of a great reward. As J.C. Riley once said, we are all born Pharisees. And is this not true? We are all born Pharisees. Right? We all think far better of ourselves than we should, and we all think that we are far more deserving than what we have. But we need to see that this is the world's way of thinking. It should not be the way the believer lives their life. It is, it is wicked who are ambitious. It is the wicked who are proud. It is the wicked who want the greatness and glory from men. And yet, hasn't this been the reason why so many ministers have fallen? Out of pride and arrogance. right? They, they want the glory and esteem of men. And so although their ministries may have started out right, focusing on Christ, after a while it starts to turn around and, and focus on the man who's in the pulpit, doesn't it? Right? It, it, it baffles me, it shocks me, but it shouldn't. But I drive through the city... And I see, you know, billboards or advertisements for churches. And what do you see on many of those? You see a big old picture of the minister's face on the billboard with his name scrolled across it. And as I look at that, I say, what need is there for that? It is because they they want to be seen by men. They want to be seen when they walk into stores and when they sit down at restaurants that, that men would hold them up in admiration and dignity and honor. But that is nothing more than pride. It was St. Augustine who said, The bishop's office is a name of labor rather than honor, so that he who coveteth preeminence rather than usefulness may understand that he is no bishop at all. I think the apostles have forgotten this today in our text as they are arguing amongst one another. Right? They were called to this office to labor for the sake of Christ to be of service to men. And to try to seek a place of preeminence for themselves was nothing but sin. But this likewise is not only true, brothers and sisters, of office bearers. This is true of every one of you here today. And this is what Jesus teaches us in our point number two, which is living like Christ. At the end of verse 33, as Jesus and the apostles have entered into Capernaum. Jesus, we're told, asked them, what is it that you guys were talking about? And we're told that they kept silent. Right? The apostles kept silent. Well, why do we think they kept silent? They, they probably kept silent because they were embarrassed, right? They probably kept silent because they were ashamed because the moment Jesus asked them that, they recognized their worldly hearts. Right? They recognized that they made a big mistake. Right? They recognized that how they were behaving was the same way the world behaves. Right? That in those moments, they were thinking of greatness and success in the same manner that this world thinks of greatness and success. But what do we see in verse 35? 
Jesus completely flips this on its, on, on its head, right? He flips around what they, what they think comprises greatness and success, and he says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, what I want, want us to first see here is that we're told in, in verse 35 that first Jesus sits down and he calls them there before he says this to them. Okay, He, he sits down and then he, he, he conveys this message. Now, today, when something important has to be said, what usually happens? Like today, someone stands up, right? And everyone else sits around to listen. Well, it was common in Jesus' day for when something important was to be said, for someone to actually take a seat and for others then to gather around his feet. And so this is what we see Jesus doing. He's sitting down, demonstrating to them that what I'm about to say is important. Come, listen, hear, learn, understand. Right? As he sits down and he, he gathers them around his feet, he is demonstrating to them the weightiness of what it is that he is about to say. And it is with such weightiness and importance that we must receive this message as well. Right? Because it's, it's so often the case that as believers, we can easily push pride aside, can't we? We can make excuses for pride. We can look at pride as, as no big deal. Right? But Jesus here in the encounter teaches us how serious we must take the sin of pride. And this message is so important as well because it describes to us what being His disciple consists of and what it does not consist of. And what does He say? To be His disciple demands humility. And without humility, you will never be His disciple. Now as soon as I read verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I don't know if you guys ever heard that line, but what the first thing that came to my mind was that, was that statement, if you're not first, you're last. You guys ever heard that? If you're not first, you're last. And isn't that the majority of this world's thinking, right? It's, we're all striving for first place, and anything less than that isn't sufficient, right? We, we all want to be first. We all want to be preeminent in, in everything it is that we do. Right? But Jesus sets before the apostles today a completely different standard to live by. Right? Jesus says to be truly great in the eyes of God is to not be first in the eyes of men, but to be last in the eyes of men. Right? Jesus says, if you want to be seen as truly great before God, be last in the eyes of men. Yet there is something else that I want us to see here and not miss. And that is that ambition itself is not bad for the believer. Right? Jesus here is not saying that it's bad to desire to be first in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that. But rather, what he's saying is that what was wrong was their idea of how to be first. And how they were going about it and how they were thinking about it, right? They thought they could be first in the kingdom of God based on their own inherent worth or because of their own greatness or because of their own merit. And what does Jesus say? He says, you don't become first in the kingdom of God through climbing the ladder of success from this world's point of view. But rather, you become first in the kingdom of God through becoming last to all and a servant to all. That is how you become first in the kingdom of God. And so, in fact, He urges all of you, be first in the kingdom of God. But not in the manner that the world teaches you, but rather in the manner that Christ teaches us, spiritually how He teaches us. And He calls them to strive after it. And so it's, it's not ambition that God despises, but rather it's selfish ambition. 
Right? It's ambition that finds its end goal in one's own honor, in one's own glory, in one's own good. Instead of ambition that finds its end goal in the honor of God and in the good and advantage and benefit of your neighbor. And so this teaching should show us how great this virtue of humility is and cause every single one of us to desire to, to strive after it. Right? Because Jesus is saying that the way to be first right, comes through your humility by being last. But how backwards is that to the world? How backwards is that to what we have learned growing up? This is why so many probably look at Christians and say, why would anyone want to be a Christian? It just goes against our, our natural reasoning, our natural minds. What your, your God says that if you want dignity and honor, then that means you must be humble and lowly? What? If you want comfort, your God says you must suffer? If you want life, your God says you must die? It's so backwards to this world's way of thinking, isn't it? That's why it's so important that we live like Christ. Everything that this world esteems, right? we see usually Christ esteems the very opposite. I mean, think about it. When we think of someone who is great or we think of someone who is important in this world, what do we think about? Right? We think about someone who's probably very powerful. Right? Uh, someone who doesn't do the, the small tasks. Right? Those are left for other people. When we think of greatness and importance in this world, we think of those who have a bunch of people underneath them who serve them and to make their life and their jobs better, right? But what we see here that Jesus says to be first in the kingdom means doing those tasks that nobody else will do. To be first in the kingdom is, is doing those things that the, that the little people do. right? It means not being served, but serving. It means not receiving, but giving. It means not exalting yourself above one another, but lowering yourself below one another. Right? This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. That we are to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? When, you, when you lower yourself below your brother or sister, right? you are revering Christ. But then the very opposite is true as well. When you esteem yourself higher than one another, what you are doing, is you are disregarding Christ. This is why, brothers and sisters, we must strive to be humble. We must strive after humility. Likewise, we must strive to be first by being last through humility because we are told that we are to do this before God. In James chapter 4, verse 10, we are told by James to humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. See, many people today want to be exalted here on earth. Right? They want the exaltation of men here on earth. But the, the fact of the matter is, is if you want the exaltation of men here on earth, that is all that you will receive. But if you are anticipating and looking forward to being exalted with our Lord in heaven one day, then don't care what this world thinks of you. And rather, humble yourselves before God. And you want to know how you humble yourselves before God? You do so by serving one another out of humility. You do so out of obedience to the commands of God. You do so by making God's will your will in your life. And many people might be sitting here today saying, you know, I know what you're saying is true. I, I know that this is right. I know that we are called to, to live like Christ and to not live like the world. But it is so hard to do. 
how do I rid myself of this pride? And so, I want to give you a, a few ways I think would, would help us to, to humble ourselves before one another. And so the first thing we must do, brothers and sisters, is that we must change the way we think about ourselves and we must change the way we think about our brothers and sisters. Okay? You have to change the way you think about yourself and change the way you think about others. Right? Naturally, right, we think highly of ourselves, right? And we think very low of others. Right? Our motives for what we do, is all, are, they're always pure, aren't they? Right? The decisions we make are always smart. The things we do are always great. And the motives of, our, of everyone else are bad. Everything that they do is, is not as good as what we could do. Right? This, is, this is the way that we think. This is the way that we, we think of ourselves. This is what the apostles were doing here in their argument. Right? They were exalting themselves, thinking that, that they were the preeminent apostle over all the others. But what does Paul say? What does Paul teach us? Right? Paul says, I'm the, the chief amongst sinners. Right? That is what Paul says. Right? We usually think of ourselves as the best of sinners, don't we? And everyone else is a little worse than we are. But we need to see others as better than ourselves. Right? We need to, with humility, see our own imperfections. And with charity, we need to look past the imperfections of others. We need to see our own imperfections and look past the imperfections of others. Secondly, then, we must look to the example of Christ often. Right? It was, it was Christ who is our pattern for living. It is Christ who we are to resemble and imitate. Well, what did Christ do? It was Christ who humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross. It was Christ who came... To not be served, but to serve. It was Christ who washed His disciples' feet. Something that we all would probably recoil at doing, wouldn't we? And yet Christ did it. He did the task that no one else would ever think about doing. And so, brothers and sisters, if we truly believe in Christ, if we want a, a humble heart like Christ, right, then we need to, to, to pattern our living after Christ. Right? You, can't ha- you can't expect to have Christ as your humble Savior and think that you can live willfully proud in this world. It will not happen. You must empty yourselves of pride so that God then can fill you up with humility. Right? The more we, we remove sin from our lives, right? the more space then can be filled with God's graces. And that should be our goal every day, to be putting off sin, removing sin, removing pride, so that God can continue to fill us up with His graces and fill us up with humility. And then thirdly, brothers and sisters, we must be constantly asking ourselves, what is it that I can do or or what service can I provide to my brother and sister, no matter how low the task is? Right? Can I... Help out a brother and sister by going to their house, getting on my hands and knees in the dirt and digging up weeds. Right? Can I, can I give a ride to a brother or sister and in doing so have to cancel my own plans that I had that would benefit me? When we come to church, you know, would you take out the garbage even though you're in your Sunday best and carry it across the parking lot into the big dumpster? For those of us here, as we have our corporate time of prayer, and for those of you who, who I see jot down the prayer requests, 
You know, do, do you take those home? And do you pray for your brother and sister every day, even before you pray for your own needs and desires? Right? These are ways, brothers and sisters, that we, that we live like Christ and we stop living like the world. And when we live more like Christ, when we, when we show humility towards one another, that is when the church is really becoming the church. That is when we reflect the glory of God to the world. And this should be our desire. This then takes us to our third and our, and our final point this morning, which is motivation then to live like Christ or motivation for Christian living. Now starting in verse 36, look with me there please. We read this. And he took a child and put him in, his, in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Right? Jesus uses this moment here to drive home the message that he has been trying to convey to them about humility. Right? He, he takes this child in his arms for a for a specific purpose. It, w- it wasn't just because the child was the only one in the room. Right? He takes the child in his arms to, to demonstrate what? To demonstrate what true humility is. Right? Because it's in children, especially very small children, that we, that we see true humility, right? Because they see themselves as inferior. And they look at others as being superior, don't they? Especially those who are bigger than themselves. Right? Children are not consumed with, with pride and arrogance like we are about our own intelligence and beauty and gifts, are they? Right? Children are ready to submit to the authority of others, are they not? Right? This is what Jesus, in pulling this child to Himself, is, is, is in reinforcing to the apostles. This is the humility that we must show towards one another. Right? But Jesus also understands that this is very hard for us. And so what does He do? He's, he supplies us with motivation to show humility to all people, both great and small. And He does so by saying, when you receive a child like this, or in another way to put it, when you receive a, a lowly brother or sister who comes in My name, you are not just receiving them, but you are receiving Me. You are receiving Christ. You are receiving not only Me, but the Father as well. Right To, to humble ourselves. And to receive a brother or sister in Christ who resembles this childlike humility is to receive God. That is whom you are receiving. This idea to receive one in the name of another is to receive them is not a new idea. We've talked about this before, right? When the apostles are sent out in the name of Christ, if you receive the apostles, you receive Christ. If you reject the apostles, you reject Christ. This is the same teaching here. Right? To, to, to accept one of these lowly, humble brothers and sisters out of humility, to show them the love and the compassion and to provide for them any needs that, we would, that Christ would do for them is to receive God Himself. It's the humble that we are to receive because it's the humble who most resemble Christ, is it not? And so Jesus closes with this message because he knows it's hard to hear. He knows it goes against our natural inclination. And so he gives us good reason why immediately we ought to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to one another. And think about it, brothers and sisters. What a, 
What a privilege. And what an honor it is to know that if you do the smallest good for a brother or sister in this body, you are doing it to God Himself. What, a, what an honor that is. How can that not motivate us to humility? And yet also, this must be a warning to us as well. Because when you fail to do the slightest bit of good to your brother and sister, you are likewise failing to do that to God. Is this not what Jesus says in Matthew 25? In that picture of the, of the general resurrection, when He separates the sheep and the goats, what does He say to the goats on the left, right? I was hungry, you did not give me food. I was thirsty, you did not give me drink. And they respond, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? When were you? When did we see you and you were hungry, we didn't give you food? When did we see you you were thirsty, we did not give you drink? And Jesus says, as you did not do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And so, brothers and sisters, let us not in our own pride miss out on an opportunity to, to serve one another and in doing so, serving Christ. Right? Let us not be so prideful as to exalt ourselves and miss out on such a privilege and honor that we have to serve not only the Father, but also the Son. And so let us be motivated, brothers and sisters, to to live like Christ and to depart from this world's thinking and this world's living, right? knowing that humility in the saint is pleasing to God. Humility in the saint is what will cause God to bless us And so let us strive for humility, right? knowing that it is the humble who will be exalted on the last day when Christ returns. And so let each one of us here be sure to receive those who come in Christ's name and who need help. Because this is the life of the believer. No more is our life about ourselves. No more is our life about selfish ambition and are looking to our own advantage and good. The Christian life is about looking to the advantage and the good of others. Looking to exalt others and not yourself. And so as we depart, brothers and sisters, I would ask that you would consider this message this week. Right? Pray that God would remove pride from your hearts. That God would instill greater humility with inside of you. That God would cause you to walk in the ways of Christ and to depart from the ways of this world. And living like Christ means showing humility before all. It means being a servant of all. And it means being least of all. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. This is a, a hard saying to our ears. And it pricks our hearts. Because we understand, Father, that We are a prideful people. We pray, Lord, for humility. We pray, Father, that You would show us our pride and that You would cause us to detest it and that we would cry out daily for You, Father, to remove that pride from us and to grant us humility and to give us opportunities to to demonstrate that humility before others. Not so that we we might be recognized. Not so that we might be praised. But that we might do so for the glory of God and the good of our brothers and sisters. And so, Father, we come before You this day and we are praying all these things in Christ's name. Amen.